Hello, beautiful people. <laughs> welcome or welcome back to the Faith Relations Podcast. I'm your host, Annette Pitton. Uh, here we talk about everything and anything under the sun and how it relates to our faith journey. I'm so excited about today's episode. Um, so, so excited. I think it's extremely relatable, which is why you need to follow the Instagram um, the Instagram is at Faith Relations, and I'm going to be better about um, kind of interacting with you guys on there and posting things so that we can uh, strike up conversations. It's uh, it's been so incredibly fun doing these and being behind the scenes and having these conversations and reliving them when I uh, edit them and just loving every minute of it. But um, I really want to connect with you guys more, so I'm going to be better. But you have to follow so that you can see it and you can interact with me and my pals. <laughs> so, um, yeah, at Faith Relations on Instagram. Uh, today, we have an incredible human being, uh, Rachel Davis. She is uh, currently a minister, and she is one of the coolest people on the planet. Yep, the entire planet. And uh, I really, really think that you'll be blessed by her story. Um, I definitely have been. And um, I am lucky enough to be friends with this human being, this incredible human being. And uh, I know that she will uh, just connect with you as deeply as she does with me. So... Um, I really hope you guys enjoy the episode. The audio is so horrible, okay? Horrible. And um, it's just because I have been trying to figure out what is the best way to uh, record these interviews. And I figured it out after this one. So um, actually, uh, might be a couple until I figure it out. But <laughs> uh, there have been a few now that uh, sound pretty good. So um with the audio comment in mind i really hope you guys can enjoy this episode um i'm really really uh just i feel so lucky that you're taking your time to listen to my passion project and um i'm i'm super grateful so uh this is uh this is my interview this is my my convo with my friend rachel How are you, friend? I'm good. I'm so glad to talk to you. <laughs> I'm very excited. I'm very excited. Um, so just for context, how about we tell our friends a little bit about Rachel? If you really want to, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it would greatly appreciate it. So um, what do you do, Rachel? So, um, I am a relatively new full-time person in ministry. So I do, uh, Christian formation at an Episcopal church in North Florida. And a lot of people have no idea what that means because <laughs> what is formation? Um, but in essence, I'm in charge of children's and adult education, um, at the church that I work at. That makes sense. Yeah. So I'm probably going to get a job title change somewhere soon because it's, <laughs> it's confusing. So, <laughs> but if it has uh, to be explained. Yes. Right. And I'm very lucky. I get to work with um, my husband who is the director of youth ministry. So he gets the teenagers and I get the kids and the adults. Love so it. I'm kind of his boss, but yeah. you're, you're <laughs> in unofficially yes <laughs> awesome uh, well I love you and I I just yeah one of the one of my favorite people on the planet okay me too um and so I feel like a lot of people will love to hear your story and um 
kind of your your faith journey. So, uh, but before we get into it, tell me something that excites you the most these days. This is hilarious, and it is Best. fitting. Um, first of all, I'm honored to be on your podcast and talk with you at all. And <laughs> it's funny because this is fitting for me. If anyone knows me, um, that I've taken up a new hobby recently and it's very dorky. Um, and that is shark's tooth hunting. So hunting. Yes. And that is hilarious. <laughs> um, I love sharks. So that's part of it. I've, that's always been a, like, right. a, yeah, Rachel loves sharks. <laughs> right. Great. And I recently moved back to Florida, so getting to just be out on the beach and enjoy nature anyway is fun for me. Um, but we're fortunate enough to live near this little sliver of beach that has a lot of shark's teeth wash up. Mm. And so I have been going out like most weekends and even just spending a couple hours, like looking for these teeny black specks on the beach. And it's been so much fun, but it's also like exciting because they're also unique and different and some are really teeny tiny and some are kind of big and I get excited about any of them. So <laughs> that's, that's what's exciting me these days. I just put them in a jar. <laughs> fantastic um, you know they could be for that i think yes and yeah. i've also been threatening to like make them into necklaces so <laughs> we'll see what happens <laughs> threatening yeah that, that's a market it is 100 uh that's amazing and so fitting for sure absolutely i agree um so Give me something that you would recommend, a book, a song, uh, something that you're, like, loving right now. So I will do music because I wish that I was musically gifted, but I feel like I am very – oh, can you hear my doggies in the background? <laughs> yeah, it's fine. No. Um, I'll do music because I wish that I had musical giftings, but I, I have a large appreciation for it. So two artists that I'm really into right now, um, Maggie Rogers, who I love and I've been into for a while and she's the best and she's about to release a new album. Um, and I'm also loving, um, a group called infinity song. I'm pretty sure they're all siblings, but they have an album called mad love that came out earlier this year. And it's just so lovely and bluesy R and B and uplifting all at the same time. And it's really nice. So love that. yeah. Great. yeah. Those are new for me. So I'm definitely going to look them up. Check it okay. out. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. So <clears throat> tell our friends where your relationship to faith began. I'm going to pretend like I don't know. Okay. So, <laughs> so where did you like introduction to faith? Um, in the beginning. No. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so it's funny. I've, I feel like that is a great question because for some people there were like particular moments or seasons where that began for them. And I feel, I used to not like this part of my faith story actually, but I am really grateful now for it. Um, I almost can't remember where it started because I think it's always just kind of been there. Yeah. Um, and part of that is because I, I mostly like grew up as a church kid. Um, and from a very, very young age was around the church in the church. Um, yeah. but yeah, I think it's, I, I think about like God's presence in my life and I just feel like God's always been there, um, in some way. 
And so it started when I was really young. I think I started recognizing it a little bit more uh, specifically when I was in fifth, sixth, seventh grade. Um, And the things that always come to mind when I think about my faith are creation and community. Mm. Um, And those things, I started taking notice of those things at that age. So I noticed the the community of believers around me and the caring adults in my life. Um, and then I also noticed God like in creation at that point in my life. Um, so, yeah. That's beautiful. Thanks. So, so when you were born, were your parents already going to church? One more time. Sorry. When you were born, were your parents already going to church? No. So my, my father was raised in a Lutheran church, um, went away from that, uh, as soon as he could and, um, didn't really plan to go back. And then my mother was raised in the UK and she was from more of a, uh, no church context because, um, in, in England where she grew up, um, it just, I mean, if, if anyone knows, you know, about the, the, the distinction between church and state is not as much of a thing in the UK, it's a little bit more unique and different. So my mother grew up with like the church being around, but it not really being, um, something that her family did. Uh, so, but she always has said that she wanted to be a part of that in some way. And then when she got older and had her own children, um, a big drive for her was like to find a community to, to raise her kids in. So we started going to church when I was about four. So pretty much the time I can remember, but I was young. Gotcha. Okay. So you said about middle school, um, faith started to like be more real to you, but did that look like? It looked like, um, getting to, so like we did the lessons on like the Lord's prayer and we memorized things when I was like in elementary school, but in fifth grade, sixth grade, somewhere in there, I think I started hearing those lessons on a deeper level and understanding like the presence of God at that point. Um, like I said, I feel like God has always been present but I don't know that I recognized that in the same way until I was right, right around that age, like fifth, sixth grade. Um, and part of that had to do with like just having opportunities to like listen to lessons about God and about the church. Um, but yeah, I think again, in large part, like I started noticing God in creation. So I had the opportunity to like go to church camp and do other things in the outdoors at, at that point in my life. And when I was in places where there was a lot of stillness, I think that's, yeah. that's where it came through and became real for me. Um, and I have a lovely family, but there was oftentimes a lot of chaos in my household growing up just because we're loud and passionate people. Um, and I don't know that I, I knew that I needed this at the time, but like having moments of stillness and quiet, um, again, that's where, that's where things became more palpable and real. Yeah. Nice. Uh, so we know each other from the one semester I went to college um, and the best few months of my entire life <laughs> uh, no it was great it was such an amazing experience and I would do it again every time um, but we lived in the same hallway mm-hmm. so, like immediately immediately connected because we were kind of like-minded right and we mm-hmm. shared our faith right so um between because you went to Flagler for what was it uh, what was your degree in religion and philosophy, religion and philosophy right yeah. so you go to college for religious philosophy. 
what would make you want to get a degree in that specific area? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking that it's funny because it feels like forever ago in some ways. And I have come across like notes or journal entries since where I'm like, I'm so lame. And like my understanding of things was very different at that time in my life. Um, I mean, it's coming on 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Um, but I think the interest in doing like studying those areas had a lot to do with, um, even though I identified it as a Christian at that time, like I still was really interested in other faith traditions, um, and the history of like people practicing things, um, for, for so many centuries. Uh, so I didn't even necessarily get into it to like, you know, do Christian studies. Like there's some colleges that you go to do like biblical studies and Christian studies specifically, Um, but we went to a secular school, so I really was interested in learning about the history of like all of these rich faith traditions. Um, so some of my favorite classes were like on Judaism where I got to learn from this 80 something year old rabbi who was phenomenal. And, uh, yeah, so just like thinking about faith traditions and then the philosophy side of it, I focused less on. I did more of the religion side, but philosophy also being um, around the topics of ethics and, you know, problems like why do things, like why do bad things happen to good people? You know, those problematizing those questions has always been interesting to me. So, yeah, that's why I studied it. Awesome. So you went to school, you got your degree, and mm-hmm. then, well, then in the middle of school, <laughs> um, you get engaged, right? So yes. fun. Yes. Um, and anyways, that's just it's right, one of my favorite parts of the story is your wonderful husband. But um, so you get your degree, then where does it take you? So from that point, um, Jacob and I were, we've known each other for a long time. So he's actually a large part of my faith story and that like we have grown together for many years, um, separately and together. Uh, and so we, as Annette said, we got engaged, um, in college again, such babies believed things or thought about things very differently at that point in some ways. Um, but we, you know, committed to being together and a large part of that had to do with, um, again, our upbringing in the church. And I think, you know, we would say now that we don't regret any of that, but I do feel like some of our decision to get together at that point in our lives was just because it was the natural next step. It's what you did. Um, so we were both, very young, but I was especially young. I was only 19 when we got engaged. And then we got married the year before my final or or right before my final year of college. So did the long distance commuting, whatever thing for a little while, my husband traveled at the time. So he was in and out of town. Um, and that was hard because I think I was still forming as a, as an individual and as a young adult, but it also really like pushed me to grow. So took me through that little spot of my life. And then, um, I have felt called to some form of ministry for a long time. Um, probably since I was in high school and as we were wrapping up, um, our time at Flagler. uh, And when I say our, I'm thinking about all of our Our sweet, sweet friends. Um, As some of us were wrapping up our time there, uh, I was really trying to discern what the next step would be. So uh, I had thought about seminary, um, doing some further uh, education in 
again, it's funny, Christian specific, you know, studies. Right. And, um, so I thought about that and I was like, Oh, I'm not sure. Do I want to do this? Um, if I want to become a pastor, maybe one day, uh, is that the right next step? Yeah, probably. Cause that's one of those things that you have to do. I wasn't a big fan of school in a lot of ways because I really believe that practical experience is important. Yeah. Um, so I kind of landed on the fact that I did want to do some more school, try it out, see what happened. I applied um, to a couple of seminaries, uh, one being PTS, where I went. Um, and Which sounds so ambiguous, but it's so cool. <laughs> Even though you tried to like downplay and be like, oh, it's just the seminary. <laughs> it's the coolest thing <laughs> that I know someone who went to Princeton, okay? Okay. <laughs> it's so funny. We always, the the people who, who attend PTS always talk about like saying Princeton is like one of the worst thing. You know, it just feels like, oh, Princeton Theological Seminary. And it's so important. <laughs> But I did apply to PTS and, um, yeah, I I applied to one other place and God just really like told me like, if you're going anywhere, you're going to, to Princeton, New Jersey, because, um, I was fortunate enough to be able to, to take a visit there. And when I saw the space and the place that I could be learning in, um, I knew that there was something there for both Jacob and I, uh, and, thank you God for telling me that. But I was also told that while I was like solo on a trip there. So poor Jacob, I was like, Hey, yeah, so this is where we're going to be going. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, yeah, like ended up taking my application out of the pool to the other place that I was applying to, because it was just so clear that if we were going to go anywhere, it would be Princeton. And, um, they graciously accepted me and we wound up going there. Jacob was extremely supportive, left his first career because um, it was a good transition point for him to take a break and also go back to school. Um, but like really supported me during that time in my call to, to do some more exploring. Um, and so we wound up in Princeton, New Jersey for four years and they were some of the sweetest years of our, our marriage so far together as well, because, um, though I had built a wonderful community in St. Augustine for college, um, Jacob and I really didn't share that together. So then this was the first place that we got to go and be in a place together where we, we'd only been. Right. Because you guys guys were long distance from almost the beginning of your relationship. Yes. Yeah. So something together. Right. And so that really became like another home for us in essence, because we did grow up together, but this was like our own thing. Um, so yeah, we ended up in Princeton, New Jersey and there I got a master's in divinity. Jacob got wound up there later too, of course. And he got a master's in, um, Christian education and formation, which that F word again, formation. <laughs> um, but that's basically a degree in youth ministry because that's what he felt called to. Um, and then, yeah, we, we studied there. We worked in churches together and mostly apart there, actually. So it was a big part of uh, our, our growing together, too, in, in ministry. Yeah. yeah. That's just so great. Yeah. So great. It's so cool. Um, so... You grew up in a Methodist church. Yes. And how would you describe kind of maybe what what would that mean in regards to like other faiths or other denominations? Like what is the difference? How do you feel like you, that denomination would stand apart from something like uh, the Pentecostal church that I grew right. up in? Okay. So the church that I grew up at, yes, was United Methodist. So Methodist is like one of the handful of mainline denominations that you pretty much see in every town, you know, driving uh, through small or 
larger cities in America. Um, so the Methodist church, I find, um, like many churches and specific denominations is really versatile. So it is distinctive from other main lines and that it is pretty global or is global. Um, some main lines are only present in the U S okay. but the United Methodist church is present in all over the world. Oh, okay. Um, okay. And it's probably, if, if someone were going to generalize it, it's a little bit more of a moderate denomination, um, in terms of, uh, you know, our specific beliefs and, uh, as a denomination, but the church that I grew up at was maybe slightly left of center. And then I also know that there's many United Methodist churches that are far right of center, you know, so you get a little bit of everything. Um, but I was raised in a pretty moderate to slightly more liberal Methodist church. Um, and yeah, I think compared to like the Pentecostal church, we're a little bit more liturgical and focused on, you know, hymns and traditional stuff like that. But again, every church looks so different. So we had services growing up that you did sing hymns out of a hymn book in a pew. And we also had services with laser lights and (laughs) chairs and a big open room that could have looked like a concert to some people. So yeah, that's awesome. Um, so would you, would you say that personally on the spectrum that you would kind of fall in that same moderate to slightly left? I, I think I definitely used to fall pretty in line with that and the the more that I have learned about the church and the more that I've learned more importantly I think about people in the world um believers in the world um I would definitely say that I fall more left and Maybe compared to some, they might not say this, but I, I say like strongly left of center. Um, and some of that has roots in my initial upbringing in a church that was pretty affirming of, of all types of people. Um, yeah. I was fortunate enough to grow up seeing female pastors in my context. Um, yeah. So I never questioned if I would be allowed to be a pastor because I was a woman. Um, so that's left, you know, to, to many. And then, um, since then there have been, uh, more people that I have seen, uh, both, you know, lay leaders in the church, um, and, uh, ordained or soon to be ordained leaders in the church who identify as queer, um, and people who I could not ever question or deny their calling to do the work that they were supposed to do. And I think that solidified some of those roots that I had growing up, um, where I think that, uh, the church is really supposed to be a space of openness, love, um, and a space that seeks justice outside of the walls of a quote unquote church building. So, um, yeah, I would say left of center for sure. <laughs> for sure. I agree. <laughs> um, yeah, I totally would agree <laughs> because I just remember being in school and specifically one conversation that like, I, um, that I still like think about today okay. and like in, in my, like, so I would say that I, I'm like in a deconstruction journey. If yeah. You've heard that term or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like I'm in the middle of it. I, I don't know anything for certain. I don't know, you know, whatever. But I do, what I do know is that what I grew up learning is not necessarily what I feel today. Yeah. Is um, so I remember a conversation that, like, through my journey, I go back and think, Wow, I really was messed up. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember you saying that 
you believe that the Bible wasn't necessarily, isn't necessarily like factual, like mm-hmm. belly of a whale didn't like it, it potentially didn't actually happen, but it's meant to like inspire us. Right. right. And I was like, this chick is crazy. <laughs> the Bible is truth. That man was in the whale. He came out and he did what God told him to do. Right. <laughs> so that's what I thought back then, because growing up, it's so ingrained in you that right. this book 100% truth, every single word written is exactly what God wants you to hear kind of thing. Right. 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 So then <laughs> you get to college and you have so many free thinkers and so many like different perspectives. And right. you know, my roommate was one of my favorite people and she had no faith, you know, tradition mm-hmm. at that in time. So, you know, like, it's just like all of these now you're kind of to face it right you're you are facing what is it that you actually 100 foundationally believe um so I just remember being like no love her but no (laughs) and now I because I think about when I tell you Rachel I think about it all the time do you even remember that conversation yeah 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 so I think about it all the time because I wish sometimes and I think I said this yesterday like I wish that I would have started this journey a long time ago Mm. I had left school and I went back into that same little comfortable you know place that I was in and uh, with the like-minded people and yeah. I didn't have to, I no longer had to face those questions of like, okay, what is it that I actually believe? And let me mm-hmm. look at where the Bible even came from. Like, you don't, you don't doubt the Bible. The Bible is truth, right? Period. Right. right. So, the only time, the time that I finally got to like, actually look like from the outside was when I did leave. Mm. Um, Orlando. We got, I, you know, I got married last year. We moved, or I moved to be with him, and I finally like, I felt like I had the space, especially because he gave me the space to do so, that I could question and I could look at things without like, almost be not necessarily being chastised, but like, it just wasn't safe to be mm. like well, didn't humans write the Bible, you know? Right. Like, wasn't it translated by another human? Couldn't there be lots of errors because we're human kind of thing? And you just can't do that in the church, right? Yeah. So going back and, like, being able to do that is so freeing that, like, I think back to that conversation, I'm like, wow, I really should have listened to her. And like dived deeper, you know what I mean? Right, right. I feel like it would it would have changed a lot in my life, but I'm still grateful for the stuff that I went through. So it's fine. right. Well, and I think that's what's interesting about it is that, like you said, this this phase of deconstruction in your life that I'm I'm I am hopeful that like in some way people of faith are always deconstructing and reconstructing. It's, it's this thing that's never ending. It's a cycle. Um, but I think it's really interesting that you say like, I wish I would have like gone back and listened to her because I laugh now remembering that story going, yeah, I still think that that's true that, you know, not everything is fact and, you know, we have to take it and be inspired by it and learn from it. But like, uh, myself at that point in life, I'm like, don't go back there. Don't talk to her (laughs) because I have also done the deconstructing and reconstructing. And I think, um, another way to put it, one of my Flagler professors said it this way. Um, before I went to seminary, he said, you are going to get disoriented and reoriented while at seminary. And that's a hundred percent true. And I think similar to, you know, constructing and reconstructing and orienting and reorienting. When I think about those things that we 
new that were so deeply foundational in our faith lives and still can be and still are, those things were constructed and were oriented to the people and the places that formed us, right? So then we only go from there and continue to be oriented and formed and constructed by the people and places that we encounter, like as, as we live, you know, as we go on. Um, and hopefully what's at the center of that is God. And I think the moments where we end up reconstructing is when we realize and notice and take notice where God is. Um, and that, and that may be in those places that formed us and taught us. And it also may not totally be, and that's okay, you know, because ultimately there's people running the show here on earth and that's where it becomes an issue because we're all human. So we don't always do things perfectly or (laughs) right. And that's okay (laughs) because we're not supposed to be perfect. Um, and yet it's still considered like good work because it's for God, hopefully. Um, so yeah. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you said you've gone through kind of deconstruction, reconstruction, right? Mm-hmm. Like there was a certain point where that whole like, oh, let me break down what it is I believe here and, and build it back up. Did that start at a yeah. certain point? Can you remember? I think that, that, yeah, I think that there's a couple of points where the, the deconstruction happened big time. Um one of those was like leaving home for the first time and going to college. Right. And like you said, that, that first semester that we had with you, um, was deeply formative. And I think those couple of years in school were also deeply formative, but really that first year being, being away. Um, and I did the same thing. I went home in the summertime to that same place that formed me and raised me and worked for that church in between, my first couple years of school. Um, so a lot of deconstruction happened while away and continued to happen. Even as I went back home to visit, um, more deconstruction happened again, uh, when I attended or worked at a couple of other churches during college. Um, one being a Peace USA Presbyterian Church, one being um, an eco Presbyterian church, which was more um, conservative, evangelical. Um, and in both of those spaces, I like appreciated things and also did not like things about those traditions, right? Um, so those were the first places that I like spent extensive time at outside of the church that I grew up at, besides maybe visiting a church or two when I was younger. Um, So then other stuff was getting deconstructed and reconstructed during those um, stints at those churches, Um, including, I know the thing that we talk about often um, is topic of homosexuality in the church. And one of the churches that I worked for um, in college asked me to sign a, an agreement. <laughs> and I can't believe I'm admitting this on a podcast, but they asked me to sign an agreement where there was specific things in there listed about my belief okay. re- in regards to homosexuality. Oh, and, um, there was other things too. Yeah, there were, but okay. one, one of them being that, and more or less, it said something along the lines of like homosexuality being wrong and you know, all the, all these other things. And, um, I signed it knowing that I would be actively protesting that piece working at that church because I was like, this is a load of baloney. First of all, I don't believe this. I'm not going to not take this job because of that, because if, and when it does come up, I will be honest. And I had to sort of like struggle through the ethical dilemma of do I sign this thing and lie in essence in order to tell the truth in other ways. Um, and I did have the opportunity to do that when certain students talked to me. Um, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. So 
all kinds of stuff in college and then into seminary, definitely a lot of disorientation, like my professor had told me about. Um, and I think, (laughs) yes, I at least had the, the fair warning. Right. And, um, oftentimes people will get the words seminary and cemetery mixed up and it's deeply ironic because it's so true. And like a lot of people talk about seminary is the place that like your faith goes to die. So cemetery, because everything gets so disoriented. Oh my gosh. But the beauty of the Christian message is that when Jesus goes into the tomb after dying, he he resurrects. So I think that if, if done well, or if, um, if you pay attention to what's really happening, in moments of disorientation. So maybe that's seminary. Yeah. Something new comes out of that. New that life comes out of that. I stole it from the Bible, so it's not really mine. <laughs> uh, but thank you. That was a great Christian joke. Oh gosh. Only the best for the best. But, but I will say seminary was definitely one of those places. And I think I'm still rebuilding because I'm only a year and a half year, year, something a little over a year out of seminary and I'm still picking up the pieces. Um, but I think that's good because it's really like active and involved. It's not a sleepy faith, I guess, if you want to say it like that. Like, I feel like I'm actually very awake and alive in my faith right now because I'm frustrated and wrestling and angry sometimes. And that's okay. And that's good. Um, yeah. Wow. That's so, wow. That was truly. I got it from the Bible. I got it from the Bible. (laughs) I got it from the Bible. I got it from the Bible. Uh, so that's amazing. I, I, yeah, I would say that like the great thing about your deconstruction is that you were constantly studying as you like deconstruction deconstructed. Mm-hmm. So you were in there very actively. Um, <laughs> I feel like I I have gotten to the point of deconstruction in the weirdest time because yeah. I'm I'm kind of like away from the church I'm I'm away from my friends I'm away from my family so it's very easy for me to like sit in my thoughts and be like I really don't like any of this you know yeah. and yeah. some days it's very easy for me to feel like I need to throw the baby out with the bathwater kind of thing but it's like I don't even want the label as Christian mm. I'm not because a lot of the times, you know, you have Christian tattooed on your forehead and people will immediately feel things about you. Mm-hmm. For example, I had a conversation with someone uh, one day we were having an argument and they said that I was extremely judgmental, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, me? Judgmental? <laughs> <laughs> me? Mainly because, like, I have talked to people in my life who are very close to me and they, you know, live very different lives. They do very different. They would do like traditionally very sinful things. Right. And they have told me that I would be the person they come to because I'm not judgmental. Mm -hmm. Right. So for this person in a moment of anger to call me judgmental, I was like, what? Yeah. (laughs) And it kind of made me like, like inspect that. And kind of like do some like introspection. Am I, what am I giving off that is, you know, judgmental? And I think, and now I'm not a psychologist or anything, mm-hmm. I think it was that posture of like holiness and just like I'm a very traditional Christian kind of thing mm. that almost like puts like instills fear in people to be themselves if it doesn't align with what I believe. Right. So it was kind of like this, it kind of puts this barrier between me and the person I'm supposed to love me and my neighbor right. Right. who 
looks very different from me, who thinks differently from me, who lives differently than I do, just because I have that tattoo on my forehead kind of thing. Oh, oh, you're a Christian, so you must think I'm going to hell because I party on the weekends. Or you must think I'm going to hell because I am a homosexual or whatever. And so a lot of days I'm like, you know what? I'm not even a Christian. We're going to love each other, and that's just the end of it kind of thing. Um, but I, I love God so much, mm. you know, and I love the redemption story that is Jesus. So like, I can't, you know, so finding these like, like-minded people where it's like, oh, we love God. We mm-hmm. love, Jesus, but we love people, yeah. wherever they are. And I'm like, oh, I want to be there. Like, I want to be those people. I want to be the Christian that changes the the idea of who Christians are. Right. And, um, I feel like you've always been that person and it blows my mind, right? Because I've always had this, not always, obviously, we were 18, but for a long time, right? We have known each other yeah. and I've always had this connection with exactly who it is that I want to be today. And it blows my mind that like, you've just always been there. Right. And so I'm super grateful for you. I'm grateful for you. You're amazing. I think what you said too there about like the way that people or, or that particular person said that you're judgmental too. um, It reminds me that, people have experiences with the church or with people of the church that um, are really traumatizing and hurtful. Right. So I oftentimes think that those, those weird sort of like I, the knee jerk, um, Oh, you work for a church. Like, I can't tell you how often it's, it's like telling someone, if you're sitting on an airplane, you're not right now because COVID as often, I guess, anymore. But um, if a doctor is sitting on an airplane, they never really mention that they're a doctor to the person they're sitting next to. Otherwise, they're automatically put you in a position. Right. Or like list off their symptoms and ask what's wrong with them. Right. The same thing happens if you talk about being a pastor or a priest or someone, you know, who works in ministry. I can't tell you how many times I've done that accidentally, like on an airplane or sitting on a train or something like that. And then someone might go, Oh, or they might go, Oh, so I'm having these issues, you know, and they, they naturally sort of start talking to you about things. And, and, and the more related to what you're saying about someone calling you judgmental recently, I have noticed people in the town where I'm living and serving we've run into people from our church who have not been back to church because we're just doing very limited services right now with COVID. Right. And so many people have apologized for not being back at church. They're like, yeah, I haven't been to church in a long time. I'm really sorry. And I'm like, why are you apologizing to me? First of all, like, I don't, I don't care. I really don't care. Um, and two, I wonder if that comes from that similar place of like, there's this like perceived, you know, holier than thou judgment thing happening. And hopefully that's not actually like what you and I convey. And I know that that's not what you convey to people on the regular, but the church, the church has definitely had many moments in history and more recent history, especially that, um, that is always what colors or, leaves a taste in someone's mouth and then influences the conversations they have with, with people um, real time, which is a bummer because the church needs to be better than that. <laughs> Absolutely. I was just, there's, there's quite a few people who are um, going to be coming on the podcast who have a lot of church trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, hopefully this will just like, it'll, it'll be therapeutic hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, I, I was saying, uh, to a good friend of mine, like <clears throat> the church should be where we go to heal, mm-hmm. not where we, where we receive pain or where we yeah. 
get trauma traumatized <laughs> like you know yeah. but it almost seems that time and time again there are that that the roles are reversed like people go to church to work and they go to church to you know be stressed and to try and put these you know especially if you're serving in the church or working in a church it's it's stressful it's um a lot to bear when it should be the opposite it should almost be freeing and um you know relaxing and and kind of in, in a safe space mm-hmm. and it tends to be the opposite so i agree with you i feel like the church does need to change how couldn't tell you but uh <laughs> <laughs> i think that's what that's what needs to happen okay so what is the best thing that you feel like the most valuable thing you have learned specifically on your faith journey? That is a very good question, my friend. <laughs> I I really I don't I don't know where I learned the No, yes I do. I take that back. So I can't, I can't ever just answer with one thing in it because you know me, I'm a little too, I'm a little too, <laughs> I'm a little too indecisive, but um, <laughs> the first early lesson that I remember learning from an older gentleman in the congregation that I grew up in, he and his wife would always walk around and were the sweetest little, you know, it's like they've, they've always been old. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> But this, this sweet, sweet couple would always walk around at services and say hello. It felt like to everyone, you know, and I grew up at a pretty large church, but they always made sure to like say hi and good morning to everybody. So warm and friendly. And he, at one point when I was young, was talking to my mom. I wasn't even really like paying attention, but I was standing nearby and overheard him say something to my mom about always having more to learn at his age. Right. And he was probably in his late eighties at the time. And I have since seen that lesson like real time and relearned that lesson from other people, um, specifically in youth ministry. Um, there was a woman, um, from a different church where a group of churches, uh, gathered for a youth ministry retreat. And, um, I was there as an adult volunteer, and Grandma Peanut is what everyone called her. She was from this other, other church, again, in her 80s, and yeah. was up and, like, dancing with all of the middle school kids that were on that trip, like, during worship, and was in the middle of all the fast-paced games. She was moving a little slower than everybody, but she was doing the things yeah. right alongside everyone. So she never said anything, but, again, that message of still always more to learn, you know, always more to do kind of... And then more recently in a small group where uh, in the church that I'm working at now, where we've been having conversations around race and um, equity, uh, a woman named Bobby has said that same sort of line. She's in her mid nineties. She hopped on zoom for our, you know, small group conversation the very first week and said, I'm here because I'm so excited to learn more and I need to learn this and I need to learn more. Right. It's amazing. Yes. So that, that lesson has come about over and over again. So I keep being reminded of that, which I'm grateful for the reminders. And, um, speaking of death and resurrection, the deeply important central, you know, intricate message of Christianity and of Christ's life, right? Um, When at seminary, uh, Jacob and I often talk about the farm at our seminary that was started by um, a now professor at PTS. His name is Nate. And he would bring everyone out um, for classes and retreats and different things that are on campus um, to the working farm. And one of the places on the farm was the compost pile. And compost, if you don't know, is made up of 
rotten, gross, old produce, which disintegrates and becomes like really, really great, healthy soil for a garden. And Nate would bring our classes out to the compost pile and we'd stand there and it'd be stinky and gross. And there's like rotting pumpkins or apples or melons, whatever it is. And we would talk about death and resurrection because that stinky, gross, nasty compost turns into this rich, life-giving, beautiful, healthy soil. Um, And I think that lesson of death and new life, um, ending and new beginnings, uh, keeps coming back up. And in some ways, the world has rhythms like that that happen every year. We start new years, we go through, um, in the U S daylight savings time. And, you know, so there's, there's like fresh starts. There's a new day every day. We, we wake up to a new sun, unless you live in Alaska, which sounds miserable half the year. Um, (laughs) but we have these rhythms of new beginnings, but like, that's, that's the story of God. Yeah. Every day, every year. Um, and I think that that story is the most timeless, um, precious, rich story that can ever be told. So I hope that um, that is one that I also continue to learn and relearn over and over again. Wow. Yeah. I'm just going to soak in that for a second. Mm. That's good. Very good. Wow. Again, it's not mine. I, I borrowed it from. <laughs> it's just borrowed. Um, no, I, I, that's probably the purpose for a lot of these things is just to be regurgitated to as many yeah. people as hear it. So mm. we appreciate sharing the stolen things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so we are, we are close to, to, to our time, but I do want to ask you. Um, last and and not, but certainly not least, what is one resource that has helped you most in your faith journey to get you through it or to a certain place or something that you feel like most people or everyone should read or listen to? Okay. So, um, That's, it's a hard one, right? Because there's been, I I think everything touches. So I think about, you know, certain art that like could be applicable. And I also think about like writings and things like that. But um, in more recent years, I read a book a couple years ago by Shauna Nyquist um, called Present Over Perfect. And just the title like tells you enough, right? Like to be, to be present and and you don't have to have it all together. Um, so that is one really helpful resource perhaps for some people. Um, I think that, oh, this is, this is another good one. And all of my seminary friends would be simultaneously proud and annoyed of me for bringing this up. But, um, there's a personality typing system called the Enneagram. Yes. And I'm pretty obsessed with it, less so than I was a couple years ago, but I think it's a really helpful tool to know more about yourself and others. And I think to do, um, to do good work in ministry and to be a good friend and partner and, you know, sibling, fill in the blank, whatever, um, coworker, uh, this, the Enneagram has been really helpful because it's given me a lot of self empathy and a lot of empathy for others that I would not have had otherwise. Um, and it is not like other personality typing systems and that like it puts people in boxes and categories. It, it can, if you use it the wrong way, but really it can become a resource that is just helpful for deeper understanding of people. And I think 
and all of the stuff that we do. And we believe the people are pretty important to be cared for and taken care of. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I think the Enneagram has been a really helpful tool and I wish I would have had that earlier in my faith journey. What's so funny is (laughs) I literally just had conversation yesterday for the podcast and she said the same thing about and I forget in what context she was talking about it but I was like I think I've taken the Enneagram once but I don't remember what it said or anything about it so Mm -hmm. I definitely again and now you're telling me so okay God I hear you (laughs) I will do it as soon as this is done um because it's true it's so important to Mm. the if we really want to love people the way that we should, mm-hmm. you want to give yourself as many tools as possible to be able to communicate with people properly, love on them. And like, yeah, I get it. I get it. And that, what you just said reminds me of the greatest commandment, quote unquote, right? The greatest commandment in scripture, yeah. which is to love God and love neighbor. But the piece that we often do not say is love your, love your neighbor as yourself. Self, yep. And in order to love others well, we also have to love ourselves and know Ooh. ourselves and give Ooh. ourselves empathy. Ooh. So you reminded me of that passage. And I was going to say, I think that's what the Enneagram does too. It's self-empathy and empathy for others. That's um, kind of deep level. Love it. I appreciate you so much. I know that life giving it's, it's given me life and we know each other pretty well. (laughs) I can't imagine for those who who have never spoken to you to listen and to really, really be enriched. Um, Thank you for being so willing and taking the time out of your day to sit here and do something for me and for other people because you're incredible. Absolutely. I appreciate and love you so much. And I am more than grateful. I can't even explain to be able to just sit down. And I mean, every time we get to talk, I love it because it is a joy to be able to call you a friend. Um, and, and this has been a lot of fun. And I think simultaneously has reminded me of where I come from and that's a nice reminder sometimes to think about our roots and, <laughs> and, <Yeah>. to, <laughs> and to be grateful for, for that. Um, yeah. and gratitude. We need that this year. My word. Well, um, all, all the love to you. And I appreciate this so much. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, for doing this. Love you. Did I not tell you? Did I not tell you? I told you. I told you. She's just a gentle and loving soul. And it's incredible to know that there are people you connect with in your life that are there for a reason. Um, It could be right then and there or it could be far, far down the road. And it's been years now since I have met Rachel and... I am just now understanding, besides the fact that she's an incredible friend, but I am understanding um, kind of like a the spiritual purpose of our friendship. And that's just uh, such a blessing, such a such a blessing. That's such a Christian thing for me to say. But you know what? That's who I am. So take me as I am. Oh man, so good. Uh, Thank you again. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for taking your time out. Um, You truly are uh, just incredible. An incredible human. Incredible humans everywhere. That's that's what's happening here. Um, I'm really excited uh, for the episodes that are to come. I have a few up my sleeve already. Um, I kind of wanted to start doing something bi-weekly, but I will run out of people to talk to, I think. So uh, we're going to we're gonna play the slow game, but I have a few up my sleeve. And next week, I am having a conversation with my beautiful friend, Esther. Um, she is a comedian. 
not by profession but just by personality uh if you know anyone who is just funny without an ounce of like it exudes from her no tries just that is who she is she is so funny she is so passionate she is so just just a cool cat uh and i think you'll really really enjoy uh that conversation i have with her so come back uh next week i hope you guys have had an incredible holidays um a beautiful new years and Uh, I think that we can all agree that uh, we need a good 2021 because 2020 was rough. (laughs) So uh, cheers to a good 2021. Um, I'll see you guys next week. Never, ever, never, ever forget that you are loved. Bye.